Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Well, I am probably going to do something that you would never expect me to do, and you knowing me, that's unusual because you've learned to expect the unexpected anyways, but this is even unusual for me. I want to talk on a topic this morning, uh, and you'll understand it more as I get into the message. You ever hear the, the terminology, the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about? I want to talk about the elephant in the room. It's You can see the pictures of board meetings, and there, I saw one online the other day as I was looking. There's an elephant next to the table, and nobody wants to recognize what's there. Everybody just avoids it. And I want to start with that premise today, and I want to try to build something uh, that you can take home with you. And I'm very conscious conscious today of the Packer Mass at 12 (laughs) o'clock. I'm teasing you. We're, we're recording it anyways. <laughs> Second Timothy, the third chapter. I want to start here with Paul's writing. But know this. Difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, They'll be boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women, burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress for their lack of understanding will be clear to all. As the first was also, as theirs was also, also was. Lord Jesus, in the next few minutes, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord in a special way, anoint our minds so that we can clearly see what you'd have us understand. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus often taught with parables. He used illustrations. He used stories about vineyards and all sorts of things. So this morning, I... I want to share a story with you that was written in 1837. This writer, can you imagine what life was like in 1837? 
That's only about how many years from the Civil War? 25, 50, 60 some years away from the Civil War? It was a different time. Much different time than the day that we live in. Recently, uh, at the Regencies, I have been going through a study process on the tribulation period with my residents. And you would say, really? Well, after four years, we've covered so much stuff, we've made it to the tribulation period. And they're, all, they're very interested in it. We started our, our study this last week with Revelation, the third chapter, verse 7 through 13. And before I read you the story, I want to read you this verse, these verses. This is written to the church in Philadelphia. This is the only church that the Lord really didn't rebuke in at the seven churches that he wrote to. It was the, the church that was on fire. It was the church that loved the word. And Brother Mitchell covered it really well this morning when he talked about the word because that's what we're talking about in our sermon this morning. He says, uh, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right in verse 7, these are the words of him in verse chapter 3, who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And he, what he shuts, no one can open. I, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I, I know that you have little strength, that you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Notice what he says next. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they're not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you since you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming, is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. If little strength, there's a lot of people, he said, that say they're Jews, but they're really not Jewish. They don't hold to the tenets of the faith. Jesus mentioned in the Gospels at least four times about the major thing that would happen at the end time that, that we would have to deal with. It, was the, it would be deception. It would be lies clothed as truth. He said in Matthew 24 and 5, For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. In Matthew 24 and 11, he mentions that many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. In Mark 13 and 6, he says, Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. In Luke 21 and 8, he said, He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he. The time is near. Do not follow them. Now what I want to do next I've established the principle, the premise of deception that's going to be prevalent in the day that we live in. 
But in the fable that you're going to hear, and it's, you'll, you'll recognize it once I start to read it, I want you to recognize the characters that are in this. In this fable, we have a king. We have a very proud, boastful king, and we have two deceiving merchants. We have the king's court. We have citizens. And then, in the end, we have one small, single child. Those are the the players in the play. Then I want you, as I'm reading this, and it's going to take me about four to five minutes, I want you to look at this in three levels through Scripture. I want you to look at the story at the political level. I want you to take the players in the play, I want you to associate them with people that you know on a political level, and then, subconsciously, do it at the religious level. That's the second level. That's the level of all denominations, of all people that call themselves Christians. And then I want you to look at another level as well, because all these things are going to come, be active in all four levels I'm talking about. The third level is the church of God, the bride of Christ. How this could somehow creep in to the body. And the fourth is your personal level. Is it possible that you might be deceived. Okay, just relax. Here's your story. Many years ago lived an emperor who thought so much of new clothes that he spent all his money in order to obtain them. His only ambition was to be always well-dressed. He did not care for all his soldiers, or, and the theater did not amuse him. The only thing, in fact, he thought he thought anything of was to drive out and show a new suit of clothes. He had a coat for every hour of the day, and as one would say of a king, he is in the cabinet, so no one could say of him, the emperor is in his dressing room. The great city where he resided was very gay. Every day many strangers from all parts of the globe arrived. One day, two swindlers came to the city. They made people believe that they were weavers and declared that they could manufacture the finest cloth to be imagined. Their colors and patterns, they said, were not only exceptionally beautiful, but the clothes made of their material possessed the wonderful quality of being invisible to any man who was unfit for his office or unpardonably stupid. That must be wonderful cloth, thought the emperor. If I were to be dressed in a suit made of this cloth, I should be able to find out which men in my empire were unfit for their places. And I could distinguish the clever from the stupid. I must have this cloth woven for me without delay. And he gave a large sum of money to the swindlers in advance that they should set to work without any loss of time. They set up two looms and pretended to be very hard at work, but they did nothing whatever on the looms. They asked for the finest silk and the most precious gold cloth. All they got, they did away with and worked at the empty looms till late at night. I should very much like to know how they're getting on with the cloth, thought the emperor. But he felt rather uneasy when he remembered that he was not fit for his office. Who was not fit for his office could not see it. Personally, he was of the opinion that he had nothing to fear. Yet he thought it advisable to send somebody else first to see how matters stood. 
Everybody in town knew what a remarkably, remarkable quality the stuff possessed. And all were anxious to see how bad or stupid their neighbors were. I shall send my honest old minister to the weaver, thought the emperor. He can just be, judge best how the stuff looks, for he's intelligent. And nobody understands his office better than he. The good old minister went into the room where the swindlers sat before the empty looms. Heaven preserve us, he thought, and opened his eyes wide. I cannot see anything at all, but he, he did not say so. Both swindlers requested him to come near and asked him if he did not admire the exquisite pattern and the beautiful colors pointing to the empty looms. The poor old minister tried his very best, but he could see nothing, for there was nothing to be seen. Oh dear, he thought, can I be so stupid? I should never have thought, and nobody must know it. Is it possible that I'm not fit for my office? No, no. I cannot say that I was unable to see the cloth. Now have you got some, nothing to say, said one of the swindlers, while he pretended to be busily weaving. Oh, it's very pretty, exceedingly beautiful, replied the old minister, looking through his glasses. What a beautiful pattern, what brilliant colors. I shall tell the emperor that I like the cloth very much. Oh, we're pleased to hear that, said the two weavers, and described to him the colors and explained the curious pattern. The old minister listened attentively that he might relate to the emperor what they said, and so he did. Now the swindlers asked for more money, silk and cloth, which they required for weaving. They kept everything for themselves, and not a thread came near the loom. But they continued, as hitherto, to work at the empty looms. Soon afterward, the emperor sent another honest courier to the weavers to see how they were getting on. And if, cloth was near, if the cloth was nearly finished, like the old minister, he looked and looked but could see nothing, as there was nothing to be seen. Is it not a beautiful piece of cloth, asked the two swindlers, showing and explaining the magnificent pattern, which, however, did not exist. I'm not stupid, said the man. It's therefore my good appointment for which I'm not fit. It's very strange, but I must not let anyone know it. And he praised the cloth, which he did not see, and expressed his joy at the beautiful colors and the fine pattern. Oh, it's very excellent, he said to the emperor. Everybody in the whole town talked about the precious cloth. At last the emperor, for emperor, wished to see it himself, while it was still on the loom. With a number of couriers, including the two who had already been there, he went to the two clever swindlers, who now worked as hard as they could, but without using any thread. Is it not magnificent, said the two statesmen who had been there before. Your majesty must admire the colors and the pattern. And then they pointed to the empty looms, for they imagined the colors could see, they imagined that others could see the cloth. What is this, thought the emperor. I do not see anything at all. This is terrible. Am I stupid? Am I unfit to be an emperor? That would indeed be the most dreadful thing that could happen to me. Really, he said, turning to the weavers, your cloth is our most gracious approval. And nodding contentedly, he looked at the empty loom, for he did not like to say that he saw nothing. All his attendants who were with him looked and looked and thought they could not see anything more than the others. They said, like the emperor, oh, it's very beautiful. 
And all advised him to wear the new magnificent clothes at a great procession which was soon to take place. It is magnificent, beautiful, excellent, one heard them say. Everybody seemed to be delighted, and the emperor appointed the two swindlers, imperial court weavers. Are you thinking about our government? The whole night... The whole night previous to the day on which the procession was to take place, the swindlers pretended to work and burn more than 16 candles. People should see that they were busy to finish the emperor's new suit. They pretended to take a cloth from the loom and worked about in the air with big scissors and sewed with needles without thread and said at last, the new emperor's new suit is ready now. The emperor and all his barons then came to the hall. The swindlers held their arms up as if they held something in their hands and said, these are the trousers, this is the coat, and here is the cloak, and so on. They are all as light as a cobweb, and one must feel as if one had nothing on at all when they are wearing them, but the beauty is still present. Oh, indeed, said all the couriers, but they could not see anything, for there was nothing to be seen. Does it please your majesty now to graciously undress, said the swindlers, that we may assist your majesty in putting on the new suit before the large looking glass? The emperor undressed, and the swindlers pretended to put the new suit upon him, and one piece after another, and the emperor looked at himself in the glass from every side. Oh, how how well they look, how well they fit, said all. What a beautiful pattern. What fine colors that is a magnificent suit of clothes. The master of the ceremonies announced that the bearers of the canopy, which was to be carried in the procession, were ready. I'm ready, said the emperor. Does my suit fit me marvelously? Then he turned once more to the looking glass that people should think he admired the garments. The chamberlains were to carry the train, stretched their hand to the ground as if they lifted up a train and pretended to hold something in their hands. They did not like people to know that they could not see anything. The emperor marched in the procession under the beautiful canopy, and all who saw him in the street and all of the windows explained, Indeed, the new emperor's new suit is incomparable. What a long train he has. How well it fits him. Nobody wished to let others know he saw nothing. For then he would have been unfit for his office or too stupid. Never emperor's clothes were more admired. But then, but he has nothing on at all, said a little girl at last. Good heavens, listen to the voice of an innocent child, said the father. And one whispered to the other what the child had said. But he has nothing on at all, cried at last the whole people. That made a deep impression upon the emperor, for it seemed to him that they were right. But he thought to himself, now I must bear up to the end. And the chamberlains walked with with still greater dignity as if they carried the train which did not exist. When I I look at the story, I, I look at the fabrication of lies which people try to use to supersede truth. I look, at, I look at how deception came into not only the world when, it, when the devil deceived Eve and Adam, but how deception has played such a major role in politics and in our government 
in, in every role of our government. And how early in the, the third or second century, deception crept in and somebody made a new set of clothes. And they decided that they were going to, they were going to make a trinity. They were going to make something that would appeal to people that, that worship more than one God and people that were monotheistic. And so the, the swindlers came in and they got together with the group and they started to weave their tails and they started to put things together and they started to build things that were not there. But because Constantine was in such power and such authority, no one wanted to tell him that it was not true. That the cloth that he was weaving, the thread that he was using didn't come from God's word. Now you may ask, why, why are you touching on this subject today? Well, let me tell you, it's a place to start. People can choose what they want to see. They can pretend to see things that are not there, and to them they eventually become reality. And some people, like the king, who begins to realize after the innocent child recognizes that he has been deceived and he has been swindled and all his wealth has been taken from these two men who pretended that they were going to make him something that would make him look good before the people because of his pride, he continued on in his, his deception. In the last four or five years, it's been, uh, it's been, I've had sort of unusual circumstances develop, and I think one of those times was when I, I spent the years that I did, three years in a Lutheran church as an interim pastor, and um, taught, like I am teaching now, to people that, that have been so involved in the weaving of the traditions of of men that they can't they can't see through the cloth. Let me read from Matthew 18. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, "Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of him and said, "Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever there shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what was unique about the little girl in the story? Is that she was just open and honest enough to call a spade what a spade was. Now, if you've ever raised kids and you've went into a public place, Sometimes they say things that embarrass you. Mama, that man doesn't have a leg. Honey, that's not polite to say. Mom, that man smells. Because children have the ability to blurt out the truth. And they're not, they're not so proud that they're, they're just speaking out the things that they see. Jesus said, when you're converted, 
you must maintain that childlike attitude by which you can continue to acquire knowledge as a child does and have the simplistic view to be just honest with what you see. You need sometimes to look into your life and you need to look into the situations that you're enduring and find the elephant that's there and call the elephant an elephant. Maybe we could find some elephants in this room this morning. I'm sure we could. But what happens sooner? Sometimes God allows people to be blinded. One of the things that oftentimes blinds people's eyes is Satan himself. In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 1. It says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. One of the things that has to happen, and you, you have no real control over, you are a light bearer. And God can somehow, and in some instances, let your light reveal something in someone else's situation. But when we're reading in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, it says that the the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those that are his. In other words, have you ever tried to describe a sunset to someone that is blind? Have you ever tried to to explain the morning sunrise or uh, anything, the beauty of a, a, a child's face to someone that cannot see? It's very difficult. And so sometimes when we talk to people and we try to reach out to them, the only thing that we can use to get through the barrier of their blindness is the compassion of Christ that somehow gets through the blindness of their eyes and touches their heart. And if we can do that, the light that we plant in them can overcome the darkness of unbelief that the devil has allowed them to dwell under. Now, it also mentions not only does the devil blind the eyes of those that partake of his, his fruit, God also will allow the eyes of those that disobey and reject the truth, who do not love the truth, to also be blinded. Because we read in John, the 12th chapter, 
And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethesda of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip telleth Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hated his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also my servant shall be. If any man serve him, serve me, him will my father honor. Now I, I'm at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, for this hour... For this cause came I into the world, or came unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Now notice this. This, this is the part that I want you to see. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now notice some hear it and some don't. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Another said, an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, the voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Even though the voice was audible and it spoke from heaven, some could not perceive the voice. And others could. This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, and I will draw all men unto me. Then he said, signifying what death he should die, the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever, and how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have light. Lest darkness come upon you, for he that walketh in the darkness know not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of the light. These things saith, spake Jesus, and departed, and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not in him. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their hearts, and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their, their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory, and spake of him. Now, I, I'm glad that it doesn't end there because when I go to verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now, take what I've just said and incorporate it with what I read in the fable. Here we have a group, a group of people that have received the knowledge of the truth 
But because everyone else still sees the cloth, of un- that still believes in the cloth of unbelief, they do not acknowledge it before people because they do not want to be made to look stupid. Now let me just talk to you for a second. If you're a one God, apostolic, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-believing Christian, you believe in the oneness of God and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and living a holy life, most people in the world today will call you a right-wing fanatic. You're not, you're not going to be really accepted. Try to go down the street and tell people your views in another church and see how well they, they receive you. Probably call you a, a, what do they call it, a heretic? You're involved in a cult? But see, when Jesus was speaking in Revelation, the third chapter, he was telling those believers at the end time what the world was going to be like, that it wasn't going to be a popular place for you to dwell. But you were there for a reason, that God had placed you in the spot where you live, in the time that you dwell for a purpose, to be a light unto those that might believe that somehow could look past the the facade and the lies and the deception of not only a government, but of a religious system. Those same weavers come into our churches and they try to bring in cloth that's not true. That's why the Bible tells us to search the scriptures. We, every one of us, is responsible for our own salvation. We need to understand that there are some elephants that that might dwell around us, that we don't acknowledge that one day will overcome us in our walk for God. I uh, I have a very close friend that I've developed a relationship with um, where I work. And I'm going to be very careful how much I say. He's a very intelligent man. He was, uh, has a doctorate in religion. He, he served all of his life ministering to people. Um, has a wonderful spirit as far as being able to talk to. But every time I talked to him, there was always the elephant in the room. There was always that difference. And one day we were talking, and it was just recently, and the word Trinity came up. And I, I asked him, I said, you know, as I get older, I get more simple in, in how I walk for God. I just want to take the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Is I said, do you think that if we could have a conversation and not use words that aren't in the Bible? Do you think it's possible that we could agree together if we didn't use terminology that came, and I didn't use the word, from a, from a weaver's loom? Because if you, could not, if you could not mention some of the things that came from the traditions that have been passed down through deception, things like God in three persons, that, which is nowhere in Scripture, or God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost, if you could use that and not use the word Trinity, if we could just go back... And just look at the word of God, the way it's written, and see that God is a spirit. 
And that, that spirit dwells everywhere. It's inside this room. If we could just agree that God was in Christ, as the Bible said, reconciling the world unto himself. And Jesus was the Son of God because the Spirit conceived in Mary and she bore him. And he was not only the Son of God, but he was the Son of Man because he was born of a woman. Could we believe that? Could we agree on that? Could we believe that that Spirit that overshadowed Mary was a Holy Spirit? That was, that was an adjective of the Spirit. It wasn't a name. It wasn't a name of someone. It described the nature of the Spirit that overshadowed Mary. That Spirit, which was holy, overshadowed Mary. It wasn't another person. It doesn't say another person. It's really not difficult. But when I mentioned the word, not mentioning the word Trinity, he says, well, he completely changed. His whole countenance changed. Because right then, he branded me a heretic. Because if I didn't agree with something from the weaver's loom, I was stupid. And see, that's what the world is trying to do. It's trying to make Christians like us look stupid. They're trying to say, because we do not accept what they're selling, the cloth that's coming off their looms, that we're ignorant. But I want to tell you, the Bible says to buy the truth and sell it not, because the truth, the whole truth, will get you through to the very end. And that truth will deliver us from the hour that's about to come on the face of the earth. And that was the thing that stuck out to me. Because you've not denied the truth, and you've not denied my name, I will deliver you. But you know the word but is there again, and you know how I feel about the word but and if. Because but and if always signify that there's something that I have to do. But if I deny the name, And if I deny the word of God and I accept the bill of goods so that I don't look stupid, that I can fit in with everybody else and I can just say the emperor looks beautiful in in his nakedness, this world has nothing to offer. Be ye not deceived. Jesus, when he was about to leave the earth in Matthew 24, said that in the last days there would be great deception and a falling away. This is not a negative message. The message is this. I know in whom I believed. I'm the child that sees the truth. And I I refuse to buy into the lie. Paul writing to Second Thess- in 2 Thessalonians 2, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letters from us as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Have you ever really looked at that first? You mean, you cannot fall away from something that you never had. Paul is writing to a church of believers, and he's warning them, 
Do not be deceived. It seemed like Paul and the apostles knew that after they preached their message throughout that, the Middle East, those eastern countries, that people would come after them and try to askew it and change it and make it into something it wasn't or to add to it and to make rituals and all sorts of things to keep people from it so that you had to peel the banana, the banana skin from the banana to get to the fruit. But that's not the way God intended it. That son of precision, he's going to pose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he, he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. And here we are, 2013, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That goes right along with Revelation 3. I will deliver you from the hour of temptation. Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, tells us again that once the church is taken out of the way or we're delivered from that hour of temptation, that the wicked one upon the face of this earth will have his way with humanity. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. See how Satan is going to deceive people? He's going to try to sell a bill of goods to people that is not true. And they're going to accept it because they're going to want unity. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Now notice this. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all may be damned to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The one thing that I, I like about our church here, I like a lot of the things about the church here, is that we can come up and preach the truth. Do I think that I have all truth? No, I don't. I think I'm learning all the time. But I do know how to get to heaven. And I do know who God is. And that's a really good start. And I think with that, I'm going to close with Romans, the first chapter. Paul writing to the Roman church, and remember the church in Rome actually became a very persecuted church. A lot of the Roman Christians died in Nero's gardens, candles. And he knew that those Christians in Rome one day would be giving their lives in the near future for what they believed. It would have been easy for them to buy into the doctrine of the Romans and step aside and deny Christ and to say that a lie was true. But Paul said, as he was in Rome also, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is faith from first to last just as it is written.
the righteous shall live by faith. I sometimes, and oftentimes when I pray, I often thank God that he's allowed me to see what I have saw. Have you ever thought about that? How fortunate you are to have been able to see the things that God is allowed to see? You could still be back where you were. But once you've received the light, it's hard for you to go back into the darkness. Once you've tasted of the good things of God, it's very difficult, but some do. Because they allow sin to dominate their life. That's why the Bible tells me that I've got to search myself. I need to see if there be any wicked way in me. I need to look for any elephants inside of my life that are there that I'm ignoring, any deception that I'm just tolerating. You know, sometimes we tolerate deception because we want to be accepted. We, we set up, the Pharisees were, were great for that. They just set up all these rules about washing of hands and washing of pans and doing this and doing that. And if people didn't wash exactly that way and do it exactly the way they said, they, they were ostracized. Things that were, but they, the things of God they completely omitted so that when Jesus came, they were so involved with all of their own rituals and traditions that they, they couldn't see through their traditions to see the light of the gospel that was being presented to them. Do you know that in our lives, those same things can happen to us? We can allow things to become at the level of truth that are not truth. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. And so that's why your Bible is so important. The preaching here is good, but if you're just living on the preaching and you're not, you're not looking at your Bible, you're fighting a battle of deception that you may not win. If you don't know your word and you can't defend what you believe, you may be deceived by what the devil presents. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.